as we um, continue through our Seven Elephants series, we're talking about the seven elephants in the room, and today is going to talk about parenting, particularly with adolescents and rebellious kids and what we do. So because these topics are often very heavy, we want to lighten it up a little bit. So let's, uh, let's see a little bit from our friend, um, Jeff Allen. I believe teenagers are God's revenge on mankind. <laughs> it's as if God said, well, let's see how they like it to create someone in their own image who denies their existence. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible does it mention how old the devil was when he rejected God's authority. My guess would be 15. This is a typical conversation I have with my 15-year-old. Last August, he comes to me. He says, you know, I think I'm old enough to buy my own school clothes. I said, you know, I think you're right. Then we stare at each other for a minute. And he looks at me, he goes, what? And I said, what? He said, well, I need some money. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah, he's 6'2", he's about 225. He came home from football, this is what he says to me. Hey, just bench 250. I said, good, can you pick your socks up? Get him ready for therapy young, that's what I say, folks. Parents, your kids are going to therapy. They might as well have a reason. I've told my kids ever since they can write, every time they've perceived an injustice in our home, write it down, date it, I'll initial it. They said, for what? So I said, when you're middle-aged and you're miserable and you want to blame me, we'll just breeze right through the therapeutic process. What is it with 45-year-old men calling up their 70-year-old fathers and blaming them for stuff? What do they expect the old guy to do? Well, I got my answer ready. If my kids call me up 20 years from now, all I'm gonna say is, oops. <laughs> what other answer is there? Do over? Come on, son, move back in. Me and mom will re-raise you. They were a lot calmer since our strokes. All right, that was Jeff Allen, and um, we like to have a little fun here because these topics are quite serious. But we have a, a couple of guests here today that I'm excited to introduce to you. We have Jerry and Amy Staten, and they are our newest members of our Rancho uh, team here. And they are, uh, in fact, Jerry is the principal of our secondary school here at Rancho Christian, so let's welcome them. Now, uh, we, our secondary school principal was retiring, and so we did a, a worldwide search. We interviewed every possible candidate on earth, and uh, we, seriously, we were very, very blessed to find you. When, when your resume came across and we started um, uh, interviewing and phone calls, it, it just seemed like a wonderful fit from the beginning. Uh, just that heart for Christ-centered education and really raising up kids, discipling them in the context of their, of their education. Um, uh, that's why we chose you. Why did you choose to partner with us here? Uh, well, thank you. Um, it is, it's, it's great to be here. Amy and I couldn't be more excited. And it's, it's a long stretch for us. We are coming from the Midwest, northern Indiana, uh, the Midwest. And, and a lot of people are asking us, why, you know, why California? Um, and when I first came across uh, Rancho, I, asked, I said, well, that's California. You know, that, that's so far away. But, but the more I, I began talking uh, with Scott and the others here and looking at the school, I just realized there was just this, this mission fit. And, and I told Scott at one point, I really want to be part of a, a church school combination that works well, and, and I haven't ever seen that. I've been doing this for 25 years. I've been in independent schools. I've been in church-related schools, and, and so often the, the church and the school can't ever seem to get things together that well, but it seemed like 
and I don't know all the details, but it seemed like as we prayed and looked through things that at least there was a huge effort going on to make sure that church and school did things well, and, and they should, uh, because a, a Christian school really exists to build a better church, um, and, and there's so many things they have in common and should be able to work on together, and I'm just I'm real excited to bring what God has done in our hearts and the different experiences that we've had here uh, to bear and, and to work with this great group of people. So well, we're excited about it, but the reason you're up here is not just about school. Uh, you have a family story that is extraordinary, and, and truly, uh, one of the reasons why uh, we were so excited to extend this offer to you is, is your story, is a testimony, truly, of the love of, of God in some pretty powerful ways. Uh, so, Jerry, tell us how your, your family came together. Well, that's, it's, it's something that, it, it, it's just our life. Uh, people look at us and, and, and say a lot of different things, but really, it's just what God has created. It's, it's we're not, we don't have, you know, superhero things under our <laughs> clothes or anything like that. She, she might, but I don't. Um, but it, it really started with God being very patient and very merciful with me. Amy's from a large family. She has a gift for children, and she always had. Uh, you know, I'm more of the sec- high school kids, junior high kids. You know, I get into that. But, you know, a- adoption is something that we had never talked about. Um, we were on the path of having a family having kids, and doctors couldn't exactly tell us why. You're not having, they scratched their heads and said, you should be having kids. We're not sure why. Well, God knew why and he was taking care of us, Um, he slowly and gently kind of taught me through the different, I was teaching Bible at the time, um, and and he kind of revealed the practical side of something. As we were in D.C., we saw the massive marches against abortion every year. They were huge and and phenomenal, and and there's a a powerful cause there. Um, But I remember teaching the kids what happens if all of these, over a million people, go back to their churches and decide I'm going to do whatever I can to help the desperate pregnant teen, hands-on. I'm going to get into this hands-on. There's a hands-on piece with legislation, but there's also hands-on piece with the individual. And I feel like that's what God was doing in my heart through teaching Bible. And so I started teaching kids this and teaching kids this. As Christians, we need to have homes that are open. And then sure enough, we got the call. Um, a pregnant teen uh, did not want to have an abortion. She had an appointment to have an abortion, but she left. She couldn't do it. And, and bless her heart, she just found a church. It was Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. She walked into the church and said, can someone find me someone to adopt my child? Um, she already had a child. She was 17 and had a three-year-old, and her life was a mess. And she wanted another life for this next child. And a friend of a friend called us, and, and we said yes. We said yes. We couldn't say no. God adopted us, you know. Um, so we said yes to that. And then... Uh, we got involved in, in the foster to adopt system in Grand Rapids, which, which by the way, the, the city of Grand Rapids uh, has um, completely given over all child services to Christian organizations that have stepped up. Um, they have outsourced everything. They don't do any Department of Human Services as far as kids are concerned in Grand Rapids anymore uh, because Christian organizations have stepped up. So we got involved with DA Blodgett, and then we adopted four more. Uh, high-risk adoptions out of the inner city there, and, and, and they're hard. They're difficult. It's very difficult. It was, but, but God gave us, God gave Amy especially, uh, but God gave me as well this, this love, this parent love for these kids. Um, and It's a unique creation that he did. We can't take credit for it. And then there were two other girls in our school that uh, their mother married a crack addict, and uh, they were 16, and the Department of Human Services in Holland was going to take them out of their home and put them in a foster home somewhere else, and we had our foster license, so we could take them as well. So we have seven, um, seven kids that, that don't look like us, 
um, that don't have our genetics, but that all, we're, we're this family, um, but, but it's a challenging family. It's a different family because of some of the difficulties uh, that are there from pre-birth and, and early childhood trauma. So. And you've also taken on a, a Congolese refugee, and that's a whole other story that it takes a whole other sermon series, but we will get to that one as well at some point. Now, Amy, um, you had a, a vision in mind for what family and, and children would be. This wasn't exactly the vision that you had when you were younger. So tell us how you, uh, how you deal with that and, and the nature of your relationship with your children and, uh, and, and how you relied on God to give you strength. Absolutely. Um... Yes, I had this scrapbook view of what a family should be um, because I came from a family. I'm one of seven, um, six girls and one boy, and I'm very close to my sisters and my mom. And um, um, when I got all my kids, I thought, oh, this is, we're going to continue this big family thing. I just love it. Um, but as, as time went on and, and they got older, um, uh, we started to learn more about their needs. Um, they became more revealed. Um, there's always a honeymoon period. Um, but um, we started to learn about uh, the, the trauma that they had growing up or, um, when they first started in their homes. And one um, thing we experienced was fetal alcohol syndrome, which is very difficult. Um, another one is, um, and it's not a physical, um, it's, it's, it's emotional trauma. And it's, um, if you're familiar with RAD or reactive attachment disorder, it's um, when uh, the mother is unable to um, connect with the child, even even with the eyes, and just nurture the baby. Um, it's such a critical time, and and a lot of our kids did not get that. They were either neglected or abandoned. If if mom and dad were strung out or whatever it may be, they did not um, learn to connect. And so, um, as they come into our home, um, they and as they, especially it shows up as teenagers, they. They just can't go any deeper in the relationship. And um, I so longed for um, this relationship that I have with my mom and my sisters. And um, it just wasn't happening with um, our, our kids, our girls in particular. And, um, and as, I, um, as we went, I was getting more frustrated. I was, I was bitter. I was angry. I, I, I was just, I was almost trying too hard. And... Um, and I, I learned, um, it, it was amazing how God um, rescued me in a sense. Um, I, I ended up on my knees um, and, and I, I don't regret or I, I will never trade um, the hardship we've gone through because of um, how God has used it in my relationship with him. And just on my knees pleading, God, what changed me? What, what is wrong with me as a mom? What, you know, why can't I do this? Why can't I? Um, help my, my kids, and, um, and through that, I just, I sought out how to pray and how to have a relationship with God, and um, through Bible studies and, and just meeting with other women, um, just really learned to, to surrender and, and pray, and it, it, took, it took time. It wasn't easy. Um, there, were, there were times where I was in fetal position, you know, or, or Jerry would come home and I'm sleeping on the closet floor. You know, it was hard. And, um, and so, um, so I learned through all of this, I'm a relational person. And, and I get, you know, I, I love to relate to people. And when I couldn't relate to my kids, um, there was an emptiness there. And 
um, the greatest advice I got from somebody was, Amy, it doesn't come. You, you get from God and you, we pour out. And, and when I finally learned that and, and could wrap my hands around that and, and I was able to just um, give, give, give and, and allow God to fill me, that's where my joy really returned. You know, I had that before, but, but going through the hardships of the kids and, and just really desiring a relationship with them and for them to be successful in life um, and, and not having that, it, it robbed me because my, my view was not on um, being filled with Christ. And so finally when I, when I, when I grasped that and I was constantly re having to be reminded of that and practicing that, um, even though it's still not with our kids, it's, it's not that dream relationship. It's, it's hard and we've had to practice that tough love where we've had to say, it's better for you to move out and, and you know, learn on your own. You know, we, we, we love you and we wanna help you, but it's just, this path is not working. And so we've had to say that a few times. And, um, but I can still have joy and I can still have hope and it may never come to be, but um, I am filled through Christ. And that's, that's where my joy and my confidence and my identity comes from. And so that's, um, so that's what I've gained through it all. And Jerry, as we had dinner the other day, uh, you mentioned that, that, that there's a pleasure around uh, adoption, as hard as that is, especially if there's chemical issues and, 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 and attachment issues. There's a, a pleasure about that that's kind of a mystery of revealing God. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. It, it, it certainly is. It's, the, the difficulties our children had never went away. And, and, and we had to realize that, that, you know, we're gonna provide love, we're gonna provide structure, we're gonna provide all these things, and thinking that would undo some of the difficulties they started with, and, and it doesn't. You know, the, the difficulties grew up with them. As they got older, the difficulties became more complex and showed up in more areas of their life. You know, when you can't connect with people, when you can't relate with people, it really changes who and what you are. And, and so, as parents, we're watching our kids and we're able to predict as parents the long-term struggle that they're gonna have. And we're watching that, and it's, it's hard to watch your kids go through these things knowing the end result. And, and at times, I would be guilty of trying to emotionally push them and get angry. You don't understand what this is gonna do to you, you know. But I had to, God typically would interrupt me and remind me this is also God watching us. And he watches us grow up and not pay attention to him. And he watches us grow up and not listen sometimes to him. And, and, and the very frustrations I feel are a drop in the bucket to what a holy God must feel when, when he's given us everything we need and he's completely communicated with us and, and we still just walk away, you know. And, and so I, I, I've had to at times repent of, of other things when I realize, oh, God's, the way I'm calling my kids and trying with my kids, that's what God's been doing with me. It really is, as my words come out, they're convicting as they come out of my mouth because I realize God's really saying this to me and, and using the difficulties with my kids to realize the difficulties that are here sometimes. And, and so I need to make sure that this is where it needs to be and, and never stop loving the kids. I, we have to figure out different ways to love them. It looks different. But, but we never stop, and, and as you'll hear a little bit later, our, our, our door is open, but there are things in our home that we can't entertain, um, but, there's, but, but we always want them. We always want them uh, to be close to us. 
Well, you two truly are an inspiration. Uh, everybody who's gotten to know you so far has been inspired by your story, and uh, one of the real pleasures of having you here is because of what God's done with you, and you will pour that into our kids here at Rancho and really church-wide. So thank you very, very thank much. You. We love you guys, and, and thank you so much for being here. When we talk about this sixth elephant today, and the sixth elephant very specifically is, I'm not connecting with my kids. For those of you who either are connecting with your kids, you haven't hit a trouble spot yet, or um, perhaps you're disconnecting with other relationships, maybe you're not connecting with your parents or a former friend of yours, these principles that we're going to talk about in our last 15 minutes together are going to apply to every single broken relationship you have. And, and as we do this, I, I want us to think of names. Have names in your head. Who are your kids that you're having trouble with right now? And it could be because they're, they're teenagers, right? Uh, and there's a disconnect. It could be because there are chemical problems or attachment problems, the way you heard with Jerry and Amy. It could, because, could be because uh, there's a rebellious um, uh, decisions that, that your kids have made. It, uh, it could be as simple as just a temporary disconnect over a few days. But wherever there's a disconnect in your home, what we're going to talk about today through the parable of the prodigal son will apply to every single broken relationship. And, and as we talk about a, a biblical approach to, to disconnected relationships, we know that we're not alone. We're not alone here. Uh, Jerry and Amy are not alone. We're not alone even in terms of our biblical context. You, you look at the Bible, you can't get past page one without seeing parents disconnecting with your, their kids. Have you heard of Cain and Abel? I mean, that went bad really quick and really terribly, right? And then you have all these stories of disconnects with parents and kids. You have Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Aaron the high priest and Gideon and Eli and Samuel and King Solomon. These kids oftentimes are rebellious and worthless and dividing the home and, and bringing shame to their families. And so the Bible is this honest look at life and family and disconnect and then this, this constant journey of how we get to reconciliation and love. And really, that's the entire narrative of the Bible, right? The entire narrative of the Bible is about God, our heavenly father, reconciling with a world that left him. As Jerry said earlier, all of humankind has abandoned God. Here's God as a perfect and loving heavenly father that wants nothing but the best for us. And humankind turns our back on God and rebels against God. Collectively and individually, we all do that. And so God's word and the entire narrative of scripture is about God, our heavenly father, bringing back wayward children, which includes you and I. And so as, as we look at the Bible, we see this heart of God, this just pours out for us, for those who have disconnected with him. Let's look at Luke chapter 15, and we see the context of this story is, is incredible. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, now, now this is written from the point of view of, of, of religious, self-righteous people labeling others as notorious sinners. So the people labeled notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus, which tells you something about Jesus. Jesus had a heart for those who were broken, for the rebellious, for people who were ruining their lives and shaming God and shaming their family. The heart of God is for them, not against them. But the heart of religion, the heart of religious leaders is often against those we like to label sinners. And so it's just something to take a look at. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that Jesus was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Ancient Near East culture, eating with somebody was a sign of intimacy, connection, and friendship. And Jesus says, yes, these are my people. The very people, the, the, the religious people, the church types reject. Those are the people that are best friends with Jesus, right? It's something to very much take a look at. 
And so these religious leaders were complaining about Jesus, hanging out with all these sinners. And instead of Jesus standing up and screaming at them, which he, he did on occasion, or lecturing them, which he did on occasion, he decided to tell three stories, three stories. And one of those stories is, is among the most famous parables in the Bible, the story of the prodigal son. I'm going to read right through it. There'll be some images on the screen to kind of help orient you on, on the context. But listen to the heart of God towards his wayward children, towards his wayward creation, which is you and I. Let's read. To illustrate God's love for the lost, Jesus told the religious leaders this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate, and I want it now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So the party began. Very famous story. Most of you are familiar with it. It is a story that not only reveals the heart of God for us who are lost and rebellious and disconnected from him, but it is a roadmap on how we can connect with our own family members whom we've disconnected from. So there's four quick things. We've got about 10 minutes. Four quick things from this parable that we can take away. First, keep your heart for the disconnected. So I want you to, to, to have a name or names in your head. Who in your family are you disconnected from? Where is there tension? Where is there disconnect? Where is there bitterness? It could be, it could be in your own home now. It could be with your kids. It could be with your parents. Uh, uh, could be with uh, even people who have, have died and gone on. There's still a bitterness there. It even could be a, um, a, an ex-friend of yours. Where in your life is there a relationship that has been broken? Keep your heart for them. Keep your heart for them. Now, this is not easy. Because if somebody offends us, what's the natural thing to do? Offend them back. The natural thing to do if somebody comes against us is we are against them. But that's not the heart of God. In this, in this parable, uh, the prodigal son, the father's heart is always for his son. Now, now, keep in mind, in the ancient Near East, the father had every right to disown his son. He brought shame to his family. He brought shame to God. He squandered half of the estate of the family. He had every right culturally to, to disown his son and to have nothing to do with him as long as he lives. But that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God. The, the heart of God is for us even when we rebel, even when we shame him and, and intentionally, willfully rebel against him. His heart is always for us. So if there's somebody in our household who's offended us, any relationship at all that has come against us, even as an enemy, let's never have our heart be against them. 
Let's always have our heart for them. How can we have a heart for them even if they've come against us? I think that the key thing is to pray for them. Not pray against them, pray for them. You know, it's so easy for us uh, to, to pray against people. You know, it might sound spiritual, but God, pre- please wake them up. I pray that they would hit rock bottom. What you're really doing is wanting the worst. How about, how about we pray for the best? God, I want them to succeed. I'm praying for them to succeed. Keep in mind, prayer is not about changing the heart of God. Prayer is about changing our heart. If we are praying for someone and for their best, we will not be able to help it. Our heart will turn towards them and for them. Another thing we could do is to find ways to show them we care. Even if there's a total disconnect, you're not living in the same house, you might not even be living in the same state, you can still show people you care. Pastoral counseling here at Rancho, as well as Safe Harbor, we deal mostly with mending broken relationships. And, and we often tell people that, um, you know, get in a habit of letting them know you care. Even if it's, uh, let's say, a parent who, who did something, you know, terrible, and there's deep bitterness there, find a way to show them you care. Send them a text. Just want you to know, today, just want you to know that today I prayed for you, and, and I love you. Maybe you can't say I love you, but I prayed for you and hope you're doing well. Find something to say to a family member you've disconnected from that you do care. And for some people, they just put it in their phone as an alert. Every other month, send a note, send a text, send an email, just to keep that kind of sense going that I am for you, not against you. Try as as best as you can to not cause them any pain. It is so easy when somebody's come against us or disconnected from us or has rejected us, it's so easy to to cause them pain, even in subtle ways. Sarcasm, passive aggressiveness, body language, a look. We don't need to do that. Just have in the forefront of our head that if they've offended us, we are going to want to offend them. We're going to want to cause them pain. Know that and, and battle against it. Only bring blessing even when somebody has insulted you. It's so difficult, but that's what God did for us through Christ. Maybe you can find some common ground. I'll just give you a couple of off-the-top examples. Let's say a a mother is really disconnecting with her teenage daughter. I mean, they don't see eye-to-eye on anything, and they are just going at it with each other. Can we find one thing that they have in common? One thing. Maybe it's a a shopping day. I don't want to be stereotypical, but every woman on the earth loves to shop. Um, maybe, maybe they can, maybe that was offensive, I apologize. Uh, but it's just a good example, right? That, that there's something you can do together and maybe you won't be at each other's throats for that 45 minutes. Maybe, you know, a father who's disconnecting with his son. Hey, let's go out for a ball game. Just seven innings, I don't know, something. But can we connect at a level without being at each other's throats? Find some ways to connect. Uh, every so often, I connect with a, a mother here at Rancho, and she's a wonderful woman, dear, dear woman. Uh, for circumstances out of her control, she ended up being a single mother, and there's a lot of pain in their home. And uh, one of her sons has chosen the path of drug addiction, no doubt also struggles with that, that, that disease of, of addiction, and has, has given himself to opioids, heroin, methamphetamine, and she is watching her son slowly kill himself right before her eyes. And she's walking this very painful road of wanting to show love and not wanting to reject, but also setting healthy boundaries. And and it's very, very painful for her, but she is dedicated to always be for her son and never against him. I admire that kind of love. Same thing with parents. There are parents who go off the rails, parents who do terrible things and, and destroy their lives and destroy their families. I so admire children who can walk that road of, of, of forgiveness of their parents and not wanting to see any harm done to them. 
So the, the, the first thing we see in the prodigal son is to keep our heart for the disconnected. Second, and this is somewhat controversial, so hang with me here. Avoid punishment. Avoid punishment. Now, this is kind of a controversy in, in parenting. Do we punish or do we not punish and how we punish? I'm saying no punishment. No punishment ever. No punishing. I said walk with me. Ready? What is punishment? This is the def, def, uh, dictionary definition of punishment. Punish is to inflict a penalty as retribution for an offense. You see the key thing here? Punishment is retribution. No retribution. Punishment is pain for pain. You cause me pain, I'm going to cause you pain. You did something that I don't like. You broke a rule in the household. You made me feel frustrated, so I'm going to frustrate you. You made me feel rejected. I may reject you. You insulted me. I'm going to insult you. It's, that's human nature. It's so easy for that to play out at home. That's retribution. That's punishment. Let's have none of it. No punishment. No retribution. Luke 15, 17. The, the son in the parable of the prodigal son thought he deserved to be punished. And let's face it. He deserved to be punished. And he knew it. He says, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. He's basically saying, please punish me, but can you give me just a little break? Please take me on as a hired servant. He says, I'm willing to be just a slave. I know I deserve punishment. I don't deserve to be your son. Punish me, please, but give me just a little break. He thought he deserved to be punished. Did the father punish the son? No. No punishment. Why? Because very clearly and very often, the failure itself is the punishment. He was alienated from his family. He's in a far off land. He's by himself. He squandered everything. He's dealing with the consequences of, of his mistakes. Very often, just the suffering of the consequence of our mistakes is enough punishment. And maybe in home and definitely in our relationship with God, that's not the time for further retribution. That's not the time to double down on pain. That's the time to do something different. No punishment. 1 John 4, 18. Are you still hanging with me? 1 John 4, 18. This is God's dealing with us in our failures. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with what? Punishment. God does not want us to be afraid of him. He does not want us to be afraid of punishment. And I'm telling you, so many people are afraid of God's punishment. I did something wrong, God's gonna get me. I did something wrong, God's gonna ruin my life. I did something wrong, I'm gonna get it when I die. I mean, we live in this fear of God that has to do with punishment. Punishment and love cannot coexist in the same room. They can't. They're opposite of each other. Punishment has to do with retribution, pain for pain. God has a much, much better plan for us. So here's what I wanna be clear about. God does not punish us, but he does discipline. And you might think, ah, semantics. It's not semantics. Punishment is retribution. Punishment is pain for pain. Discipline is something entirely different. Discipline is this thoughtful, gracious journey with someone we love to get their life in a better place. That's discipline. And so, you know, if your child uh, continues to, this is just, a, again, off the top kind of example. Your child continues to fail to, clean their room, right? If they do that on a regular basis, you just might fly off the handle and pain for pain and there's gonna be retribution for your kid. Discipline is a whole different approach. Discipline would think through this and say, listen, I need my kid to take responsibility for their stuff. 
I need, their, I need my kid to take responsibility for the household here, right? So, so there's a sense of responsibility that has to grow. What are the changes that I could bring to my child to get them to understand the concept of taking personal responsibility? That's a whole different track. And, and yes, there will definitely be consequences. There will definitely be some discipline. And uh, there will definitely be conversations like, hey, if you don't clean your room, I just want to let you know, if you don't clean your room, you're not taking responsibility for the household, therefore, you will have additional responsibilities in the household, right? It's a choice that you're giving your child. It's a very specific choice, and it all has to do with a focus on how to build in them something that they lack. That's a path of discipline. There is no punishment, but you actually accomplish what you want to accomplish. This is kind of the art and somewhat science of parenting. And this is what God does for us. God says in Revelation 3.19, he says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. If there were no discipline, that's the most unloving thing we can do is just say, hey, whatever you want to do, do. Ruin your life, ruin, ruin relationships, hey, anything goes. No way, no way. God corrects and disciplines everybody he loves, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. God is very serious. He wants to make us like Christ. He wants to make us loving, selfless people. That's God's desire for us. So if we waver from that, God will do what he needs to do to graciously, thoughtfully get us aligned with Christ. So no punishment. Here's the question that's begged when we eliminate punishment. So in a culture of grace, does anything go? Do we just allow anything to, to happen? The answer is, of course, what? Say it, no. Of course not, right? Just because we give grace does not mean that we let anything go. And so we see this in the story of the prodigal son. Set healthy boundaries. Set healthy boundaries. The youngest son took half of the money of the family's estate and he squanders it on a wild living. And, and we're talking about in the time, you know, prostitution and gambling and drunkenness and whatever else, you know, an ancient civilization would be considered just terrible evil, right? He was involved in terrible evil. Did the father allow any of that in his house? What's the answer? No, there were boundaries. In fact, in that parable, it's made very, very clear that the son went far away to live a life of evil. The father would not allow that in his house. It is okay to set boundaries in your house. It's healthy to set boundaries in your house. If there's substance abuse creating pain and chaos, don't allow it in your house. If there's rage and threats or violence, do not allow that in your house. If there's a breaking of marriage vows and that continues and there's no you know, reconciliation happening, don't allow that in your house. Grace doesn't mean anything goes. Set healthy boundaries. I'm always for you. I'm not gonna punish you pain for pain, but we're gonna set healthy boundaries. We're not gonna give you what it takes for you to destroy yourself. And we're not gonna allow you to destroy this family. Set healthy boundaries. There's a great book on boundary setting by Cloudon Townsend. It's called Boundaries. It's, it's considered to be just a standard. In fact, the Statens here, uh, Jerry and Amy, read that three times because they had to navigate this in their own house. And part of that is when their kids were older and they were uh, of adult age, they had to set boundaries. It's like, you're not going to be more responsible the longer you stay here with us. We have to kind of set that break and you've got to be on your own. And they're helping their kids make that transition. There's no, nothing's being abandoned here. They're helping them out. But this is a boundary. You have to leave our house now. You are an adult. And the only way you're going to learn adult responsibilities at this point is, is, is to create a, a life on your own. And we'll help you. It also begs the question, what if my rebellious child is a minor? I am bound by the state of California to 
<laughs> to have this child in my house, but they may be absolutely out of control. And I'm deciding, do I, do I take them five states away and drop them off and face to rest? I'm thinking about that. It might be better. Now, this might be a little serious and will definitely not apply to everybody. However, if your child gets to a point of absolute destruction, absolute destruction, you've tried everything, you've tried counseling, you've tried doctors, you've tried everything we're talking about here, and your child is choosing the road of absolute utter destruction, and they're 16, you can't take them across state lines and abandon them in the desert as much as you would like to. Here's what you can do. And I've had to walk one family in my 30 years of ministry, I've had to walk one family through this. You are required by the state of California to give them shelter, food, and water. That could mean a tent, peanut butter and jelly. Seriously, that's not a joke. One family had to walk through this. Their child was just choosing absolute destruction. And I helped walk them through. Let's get you a tent. Let's get you a sleeping bag. Throw their pillow out there. And you say, that is where you're going to live if we don't start straightening some stuff out. And this kid was calling their bluff. Didn't think they'd follow through with it. Changed the locks on their doors. Put the kid in the tent. Peanut butter and jelly and water. And that's it. And the kid sat there defiantly for three days. Three days, daring his family to keep him out there. And they were determined, this is it, this is, this is it, 16-year-old kid. On the third day, God raised this kid from the dead. <laughs> he had an awakening. And he came to it all by himself, right? That he needed to get his act together. Now, life wasn't bliss, cherries and unicorns, whatever cherries and unicorns have to do with each other, I don't know. But it wasn't total bliss, but it was, it was the wake-up call that says, we're serious here. We are setting healthy boundaries. And, and, and we may need some help doing that, especially in our culture today. Finally, and we're done. I'm sorry, I'm keeping you a tad late. Uh, there's always a way back home. There's always a way back home. In the prodigal son story, the father always had his heart for his kids. Well, his kid was not eager to bring punishment, set healthy boundaries, but the father was always looking to the horizon, right? Always looking to the horizon wanting, longing for his child to come home. This is God's heart for us. He wants us to be with him and to, and to know his love and to be embraced by us, right? By his forgiving grace and to walk this journey of becoming more fully alive and more like Jesus Christ and to experience love and to, and, and, and to experience loving others. God wants that for us, right? And sometimes we're wayward, but his heart is always for us. And there's always a way back home, always. I don't care how bad your family has gotten. I don't care which name is in your head and there, there's so much pain and so much disconnect, there's always a way back home. Now for some of you, that pain is so significant and the boundaries, the healthy boundaries have to be so serious that maybe that way back home is, is just a little bit of love shared maybe from a distance just to keep everybody safe. But for most of our families, mine included, which included alcohol and betrayals, alcoholism and anger, rage, the whole thing, name calling, for us, it was a 15-year journey where our hearts were open to each other, but it took about 15 years. It took about every resource that Rancho Church at the time could, <laughs> could give us to get this family back together as one by one, each of us came to faith in Christ. Each of us started experiencing the love of Christ here at this church. And then we started opening our hearts to come back home, back home, back home. And with all the betrayals and all the dysfunction and all the anger, over about 15 years, we had this connection. And as it says in Luke 15, my son is home, let's party. And the Treadway family has had a lot of celebrations that were together. 
and there's love there, and my parents are still together, and all of us still live in the town, this town, and we have holidays together and dinners together, right? There's still some residual stuff that all of us have. Sometimes those scars, you know, don't totally disappear, but we're together and there's a celebration. That's not guaranteed. There is no guarantee that your son or daughter or your parents will come home. There's no guarantee that this broken relationship is gonna be mended this side of eternity. But for us to at least have our hearts open that there is gonna be a way back home. There's gonna be a way to forgive. There's gonna be a way to reconcile just to keep your heart open to that. Because if your heart becomes closed to reconciliation, who's the one that's really a slave? It's probably you. We can be a slave to bitterness, a slave to anger, when there's no possible way of forgiveness and reconciliation. But if we would look at this story and say, God's heart is never closed for anybody to come back to him, I will not close my heart to even this family member who hurt me so deeply. It might just be a little crack, but that heart's gonna stay open to see what God does. As I close in prayer, I want you to pray the specific name in your family or names in your family where there's disconnection. And I also want you to just be flooded with God's grace today. Be flooded by his love today. Know that his heart is always for you. Know that he's not gonna punish you. Know that he is wanting you to experience the full life that he has for you. He's not gonna get you back and there's always a way to come back home. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we can look at this very famous parable, probably the most famous parable in all the Bible. This simple story of a, of a father who lost his son for a while, but the father's heart was always for his son. There was always a way back home, not to, not to punish, not to give pain for pain, but to, to enjoy the reconciliation, to enjoy love being shared, to enjoy forgiveness, to enjoy this embrace. God, that's what you want of all of us. And so maybe there are some here today that, that showed up thinking they were under your condemnation, thinking that, that you are punishing them or will punish them. I pray that there would be a freedom right now to be loved by you the way you truly love them. That there's forgiveness, there's grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus gave his life for this message for the cause of grace, even to what we see in this uh, parable as, as notorious sinners, people who are labeled by the church as sinners and, and that just puts heavy burdens on people who believe they're under condemnation. I pray that they would experience that forgiveness and grace today as they believe in your love through Jesus Christ. And God, help us to apply this love in our family. Every family, either for a short term or long term, suffers with broken relationship. So I pray that every one of us in here would have this heart for those that are disconnected from us. Uh, whether it's our teenager or somebody who's hurt us deeply, whether it's just an argument or something that's chronic or even lifelong, give us that ability to have the heart that you have for us, a heart that's always for someone, a heart that is always open to bring them home. God, do your work of love in us and through us to build healthy, happy homes. In Christ's name we pray and everybody said, amen. <laughs>